Ugh, the heat's so dry down here, I'm starving all the time. I could go for a snack. Maybe you can too. Because today's episode is brought to you by Hugh Kitchen. Hugh is a family-founded chocolate and snacking company focused on creating products that match ultra-simple ingredients with unbeatable taste. Built on a strong mission to help people get back to human, Hugh only uses simple, real, and responsibly sourced ingredients. Hugh obsessively vets every ingredient to unite unbeatable taste with unmatched simplicity. They go beyond what is easy and expected to ensure that their products and practices are ethical, and put both humanity and the human body first. All of Hugh's products are gluten-free, dairy-free, refined sugar-free, and aren't heavily processed. Use code POD for 15% off your next purchase at HughKitchen.com. That's code POD, P-O-D, for 15% off at Hugh, spelt H-U, Kitchen.com. And find out why Hugh helps people get back to human. <sighs> Something I wish I'd do around here. What's God got to do to get his soul back? And now, just to shame the podcast streamers a little, this is Tele-Hell. Okay, boy, down, down, down! Don't make me use the choke chain on ya! All of ya! Sorry, folks. This is my week to take care of the boss's pet, Cerberus. Internet? Cerberus. Cerberus? Internet. Uh, Cerberus, of course, is Hell's infamous three-headed hound, and... Heal, Cerberus! Heal! Uh, everybody in Hell has to watch him at one point or another in the underworld. In my case, it's because the boss has gone to the surface to remind people that Black Friday was still a thing this year. But I digress. Uh, hey, 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 hey! Don't go chasing after bats! The boss said you gotta cut those out of your diet! Come on! Speaking of dogs, we've got another one of those metaphorical ones to present today. One of the many TV shows that tried to make it past the pilot phase, but then crashed upon takeoff. What are you going to do now? Well, first I'm going to try licking myself, and then I'm going to catch my killer. This show not only shows what's wrong with throwing ideas up against the wall in the hopes that they stick, but it also acts as an argument against reincarnation. Every dog has its day, and this dog is about to have his... in Tele-Hell. Wanna play with a chew toy boy? I hate dog sitting. Okay, Cerberus, I'm just gonna tie you up to this stalagmite and... Ugh, there we go. And hopefully this bowl of kibbles and souls will help calm you down. I gotta do a thing over here, I'll be right back. Sorry folks, it's either this or double eternity. Anyway, this story begins with not one, but two icons of comedy. The first of which is somebody who left the mortal world far too soon. Come and knock on our door. Hands down, one of my all-time favorite comedy performers was the late John Ritter, who for eight years tested the limits of that physicality on Three's Company. After that show ended, Ritter then tried to parlay that success into a series of critically acclaimed yet short-lived TV shows, as well as a few memorable roles in movies. One thing that Ritter had yet to try was throw his hat in the ring as a producer. 
then, one day in the late 1980s, a script came Ritter's way that was written by three individuals, David Kirshner, Brian Levant, and Lon Diamond. This was the story of a hard-boiled Chicago detective who took one chance too many and through a series of death-related circumstances got reincarnated into his pet bulldog who continues to fight crime with his rookie partner. Saying this out loud, this is one of those times where I need to repeat all these details as slowly as possible just to make sure that my brain hasn't been fully consumed by syphilis. <coughs> Hard-boiled detective. Killed on duty. Becomes a bulldog. Still fights crime. And if this were a sane world people lived in during the late 1980s, this idea would not only be soundly rejected, but the script that this was written on would be promptly recycled as a limited edition of toilet paper. And yet, for some reason, John Ritter, a man of many talents, thought to himself, SHUT UP AND TAKE MY MONEY! So he and the three writers all teamed up to become executive producers of this yet-to-be Mad Lib of a sitcom premise. And that's just about the extent of Ritter's involvement in the show, because even though he wanted to be attached to it for some reason, he at least made the smart move of not appearing on camera in the main role. That thankless job went to our second icon of comedy. If you're blue and you don't know where to go to... No, 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 not him, uh, the other one. There it is. To a certain audience, you may remember Peter Boyle as the creature Gene Wilder created in Young Frankenstein. But to a slightly younger audience, you may also remember him as this guy. Hey, I don't want to alarm you, son, but even if she had a big woolly lumberjack beard, she wouldn't need a whole afternoon. But he was far more than Frank Barone. Boyle's resume was the kind that stretched about a mile long. Even though 90% of what he did were either minor or supporting roles, he was still an everyman in everything that he did. That everyman mentality was put to the test when the three writers of the script somehow, against every possible set of odds you could think of, convinced Boyle to take on the role of the reincarnated detective turned bulldog. And the more I say that part out loud, the more I wonder if the writers of the show just grabbed a bunch of words out of a hat to come up with their idea. Rounding out the cast was the guy who played Boyle's rookie partner. He would be played by an up-and-coming name in the voiceover world, George Newbern, who for many years would be the voice of Superman in various DC comic series. Stop hurting people, Brainiac. He wasn't wrong about everything. You calling me soft, Bane? The strong protect the weak. Forget I'm bulletproof? Faster than a speeding bullet, remember? Also in the show, one of the great character actors to ever play a police chief. So much so that his IMDB page has him listed several dozen times either as a chief, sheriff, general, or various other forms of authority. The great Frank McRae. Want the York case. There's no York case, it was a suicide. Copy? And finally, the cast is rounded out by somebody who, within a few months or so of this show airing, would become better acquainted with one of the show's executive producers. As the future Mrs. John Ritter, Amy Yazbeck, would play the neighbor to our rookie detective. Wonder why we weren't invited. 
Same reason we weren't invited to the Reynolds, the Burks, or the Curzons. You can't go to a kid's party if you don't have a kid. Now that the casting and the filming was out of the way, there was still the matter of which of the TV networks would be foolish enough to take this premise seriously. This is CBS. Certainly not CBS. Because by the late 80s, early 90s, comedy was just about the only thing the network had going for itself. And they didn't want to tarnish that record with an obvious piece of poison. They'd have to wait for Baby Bob to do that. This is ABC. It wouldn't be on ABC either, because even though they had a track record with family shows and with John Ritter, they knew better than to touch this one. You are watching Fox. We are watching Fox. And certainly not the then young Fox network. Because even though they were a relatively young network looking for shows to patch in their increasing primetime lineup, their shows were still being aimed for a young and edgy audience who were sick of watching the same old things. That only left the show with one possible home for itself that wasn't on basic cable. This is the NBC Television Network. And with that in mind, we remind you of some of the things we mentioned when we covered Rodney Dangerfield's ill-fated pilot last season. Then, as now, every year, TV networks would buy several dozen ideas for TV shows and commission orders to turn some of those scripts into full-length pilot episodes for network consideration. Afterwards, through a series of audience testing and inter-network politicking, the decision would eventually be made as to which of the pilots would make the jump to full-fledged series. Of course, in the cases of many, these pilots would never see the light of day. Unless they fell into either the wrong hands, became part of some underground tape trading pipeline, or in most cases, the pilot would air as a special during dead time periods in the summer, because the network in question had nothing else worth programming that week. So, possibly to either humor or placate the egos of those who made the project in the first place, they could hold their heads up high knowing that, if nothing else, at least it aired on TV for millions to see. In the case of this show, with the laughable title of Huchinsky, it's a case of every dog has its day. Uh-oh, Cerberus is done eating. Excuse me. Okay, boy, and boy, and boy, what do you want to do now? Oh, you need to do your business, don't ya? Okay, okay, calm down, boys, calm down. I gotta get the cleanup kit ready. Okay, Cerberus, do your thing. Not on my shoe! Ah! Hot foot! Hot foot! Hot foot! Ah! Well, hopefully this show isn't as flaming a turd as the one that just burnt the skin off my foot. We'll see how much fur this sheds on our TVs. After the break. Yoo-hoo, doggy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Where's those crazy Swedish chefs here to put a smorgasbord in your bowl? The new smorgasburger. First we chop the cheese and chicken. Next we grind the beef and liver. Then we mix it all together. Now you got the smorgasburger. Smorgasburger. Yeah, that is the smorgasburger. Chicken, cheese, beef and liver. Yeah, that is the smorgasburger. New smorgasburger from Coloration. It's like a smorgasbord in a bowl. Smorgasburger! <laughs> 
Telehell is proud to partner up with Dave's Archives. Dave's Archives is the premier spot on YouTube where you can get your vintage TV fix, including old commercials and original shows covering classic TV and other TV-related pop culture. Here's just a small taste of what they have in store for you. Get your skis shined up, grab a stick of juicy fruit. The taste is gonna move you, move you up, move you out. The taste is gonna move you when you pop it in your mouth. Juicy fruit is gonna move you. It's got a taste that gets right to you. Juicy fruit, the taste is gonna, gonna, gonna move you. Want to check out the rest of it? Go to YouTube and type in Dave's Archives, or you can visit them on Facebook. Again, search Dave's Archives. And now, back to my punishment for the week. July 9th, 1990. Tensions between Iraq and Kuwait reach a fever pitch with Operation Desert Shield. New kids on the block top the charts with step-by-step and at 9 p.m., 8 p.m. Central, NBC did to a bulldog what it also did to Rodney Dangerfield one month earlier, and unleashed this show onto an unsuspecting audience with next to no promotion of it. Car 307, proceed to Madden. Our story begins with some colorful conversation between Boyle in his human form and a dispatcher. I'm Casey, the new dispatcher. Casey? After that bit of nothing, Puchinski and his partner investigate the latest crime to hit the Windy City, while at the same time showing us how well partners can get along after the shortest of time frames. Let's wrap this up, huh? I can't listen to this talk anymore. You know, Puchinski, I've been covering you for a month, and I'm sick of it. It's only a month? Seems like an eternity. Afterwards, Boyle comes across a group of young ruffians that are picking on a defenseless dog. Boyle speaks to the children with kid gloves, of course. Leave that dog alone. What's it to you, Grandpa? Easy, fella. I lost my head, you know? When you get to be my age, you forget things, like, like whether or not this gun is loaded. Well, there's only one way to find out. This guy's crazy. Come on! A true hallmark of any decorated detective. Threatening children with a loaded firearm. And again, this is Chicago, so it's probably par for the course over there. Boyle then comes across the poor pup, and they immediately hit it off. Oh. Mm. That's right. Hey, come here. Give me a kiss. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Ugly and all Okay, so, man meets dog, dog eats man's hot dog. No problems here so far. As we progress further, Boyle adopts the dog and takes him along wherever he goes including at the precinct. Just wait here and Daddy will be right back. Hey, Pachinski, finally found someone to kiss you? <laughs> hey, Schreiber, don't let the word get around. I wouldn't want anyone to think I've been unfaithful to your wife. Ha! Take that, character we'll never see again in this show. I think. Meanwhile, in the station house, Boyle's partner has some reservations about working with him and his dog. Uh, I'd like to request a transfer. On what grounds? Partner incompatibility. What is it? Well, it's when you don't get along with your partner, sir. I know what it means. Exactly what is the problem? Irregular work habits, uh, blatant disregard for rules, and he has adopted this, this mongrel he keeps in the back seat. Detective, 
Who caught the North Hill Strangler? Who caught the post office bomber? Pachinski. Don't confuse hygiene with character. There's a lot you can learn from a man like Stanley Pachinski. And I suggest you start your education immediately. Yes, sir. A lesson he's going to try to take to heart as the two of them embark on another assignment. I gotta get me another pizza. Casey, pass me through the... Would you forget the pizza? As distasteful as this may seem to you, we've got a job to do. Look, who died and made you Joe Friday? Uh, all right, you know, I'm Some gonna go Hmm. A slovenly detective who does whatever he feels like doing, and a straight-laced, almost neat freakish rookie who wants to play by the book. Why, oh why, does that sound familiar? Just like Beauty and the Beast, the slob-neat-freak combo is a tale as old as time. Fortunately, we don't linger on that for too long as the cops chase down a bank robber. Okay, my wallet. Get my wallet. Don't talk. Cub tickets. Boxies. Take a date. Boyle spouts out random gibberish as he lays dying from his hit and run. And for the most part, it's standard cop show fare, even for a supposed sitcom. But then the show takes a sharp U-turn into crazy town as Boyle and the dog have a rather odd staring contest of sorts before he ultimately passes away. Through the magic of magical wind chime bullshit, which some of you out there might confuse for reincarnation, Boyle pretty much does to the bulldog what Spock does to Bones near the end of Wrath of Khan. The magical wind chime bullshit fades to white, and then to Boyle's funeral, where the show goes from police procedural to a talking dog? Boy, you really beat yourself up over this, aren't you? Who said that? Short memory. It's your partner, Puchinski. Ha! Surprise! Hopefully there's more of an explanation that can be made as we go into Act 2, where the rookie goes through the standard of it all. I've gone over the edge. You're not real. You want proof? How did you become a dog? All I know is I saw this big tunnel and this big shaft of light, and I heard voices at the end of it. Relatives' voices. And they were calling, here boy, here boy, come on, come on. And next thing I knew, I had a tail. This is amazing, you, you, you... Really? Nothing? No explanation at all about how the soul transfer worked? I know you're only a half-hour sitcom leaving limited time for explaining things, but you're making Where's Rodney's thin plot details look like the Declaration of Independence with that lack of an explanation. Seriously, no explanation over the how and why during the 30-second staring contest of death that you were able to transfer your soul from one beast to another? Hell, I can do a better job of explaining what we do with souls around here. Here at Hell Headquarters, we make sure all of the wayward souls that come our way are treated well before they meet their inevitable fate of getting reincarnated as the things they least want to be in their next lives. Take, for example, this poor guy. He's in hell because he embezzled millions of dollars from his company in an effort to pay off outstanding student loans, and he also jaywalked every day of the week. His soul is a ripe candidate for reincarnation, based on how big his life offenses were. Watch now as we place the soul into our patented reincarnator to determine his fate. Uh-oh, be 
because of his naughty, naughty ways. Mr. Wannabe Millionaire is about to be reincarnated as a lamb whose overall fate will be on a skewer at a shawarma stand in Minneapolis. Tough break, Greedy. That's just one of several trillion fates that await our damned here at Hell Headquarters. Hell. Have a nice day. As I apologize for the tangent there, we then get to the heart of the matter. Puchinski is out for revenge, and he still needs his dumbfounded partner for a little backup. You can forget that. I'm off the case, and you're whatever you are. You're off the case? Captain put me on a desk. A desk? Your partner was murdered and you sat down? Excuse me! <laughs> what are you doing? You're gonna make yourself sick. One thing I'll give the show some credit for. Unlike Baby Bob and its use of horribly creepy CGI to make the baby's mouth move, at least this show had enough of a budget to make a puppet bulldog with slightly more realistic facial movements when it speaks. We're not saying it's better than the talking baby, but at least it's a step in the right direction in a technical sense. Huchinski and the rookie then attempt to get back on the case after storming into the chief's office, while the dog makes a move on his dispatcher. Well, the reason I'm here is I'd like to be put back on the Pachinski homicide. Save it, son. You had a shock. The best thing for you to do is to go home, take a few days off, collect your thoughts. No, 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 sir. The best thing I can do is to catch my partner's killer. Just to double check, does implied bestiality fall anywhere on our nine circles? It counts as a form of lust? Okay, duly noted. After that thing happened, we soon meet the future Mrs. John Ritter as she and the rookie make pleasant sitcom small talk. Hi, Robert. Hi, Franny. Hi, Katie. Mom, look! Uh, careful, he's not very friendly. What's his name? Uh, Stanley Pachinski. That's an excellent name for a dog. No, that's an excellent name for a construction worker or a longshoreman or a building superintendent. But once again, I digress. Puchinski tries to convince Mr. Rookie to go bury a bone in his neighbor's yard, so to speak. But because this is contrived sitcom land we're living in, they gloss the hell over a potential romance just so they could focus more on the case as well as the wacky circumstances both characters find themselves in. Don't worry, I'll be out of here as soon as we wrap up this case. Stone put me on the investigation and did not mention anything about working with a bulldog. <sighs> Don't call me that! Why not? Look at yourself. You're a dog! I'm a cop! Need I remind you who caught the North Hill Strangler or the post office bomber? That's when you were making collars, not wearing one. I'm a better cop with four legs than you'll ever be with two. Okay, that's it. So the dog tries to take oh, matters into his own God. hands, as dogs do. And Puchinski brings back the neighbor lady for some reason. I know dogs have a habit of having short attention spans, but the lack of focus on this is starting to give me some whiplash. Hi. Look who found us. We heard the scratching on the door, and there I was. <laughs> Bet you're happy Stanley's home. Oh, I thought I'd never see him again. Look, I know this is a little forward, but I just couldn't stand the thought of you sitting here eating peanut butter and Alpo. So we're fixing dinner. Well, thank you, but uh, you, you really shouldn't have. Oh, please. It's no bother whatsoever. So is this a cop show, a rom-com, a family romp? Wacky slapstick? All of them? You're pretty smart, don't you? 
Yeah, looks and brains. You know, you're just lucky they're here. That's the thanks I get? Do I need to show the dog a laser pointer just so it can focus on just one thing? This babe wants you bad. Oh, shut up. Pardon? After some comical fighting, we get to the part where the rookie tries to come to terms with things, only for the dog to come to terms with his own fate. Look at me. I've become a dog. It's all sinking in now. I mean, I used to have hair on my back, but this is ridiculous. At least you haven't lost your sense of humor. I lost a lot more. My identity, my home, my Claire. Some nights we just go for a walk. Maybe stay home and arm wrestle. Now all these are good for is digging up bones. <sighs> and just as a reminder, this show took three people to write. Which, now that I think about it, might explain the tonal whiplash we're seeing here. Almost as though one person wrote the cop drama part, the other person was writing the comedy, or lack thereof, and the third person was writing the sappy stuff. Put it all together and you've got something that airs in the dead of summer with little chance of seeing any actual resurrection. So, how does this end? Pachinski, you've been here all night, every night for a week. Let's go home. If avenging my death means nothing to you, then run along. Who needs you? You're still upset about that rabies shot, aren't you? Well, believe it or not, Wuchinski tracks down the guy who ran him down. And while it would normally put in a complaint that the show's playing its hand too soon and having its main conflict be resolved in episode one, this is the only one of these shows we're ever gonna see. So you might as well tie up the loose ends. Normally on TV shows with plots based around revenge, it often takes years for the ultimate fight to take place. Just ask shows like The Mentalist and Hawaii Five-0. The fact that it's all being tied up here in just a few minutes just goes to show how little there was in the tank to begin with. However, there is one image in this scene I just can't say no to. Yep, the dog bites the perp right in the goodie bag. I'll have you know I did not enjoy that. The perfect thing to be viewing on network TV in prime time. The show ends with Puchinski and Superman being commended for their efforts as well as the fact that the police are just going to blindly accept that talking dogs exist, and of course, one more bit of odd couplery to take place before the credits roll. What do you think you're doing? It's the ninth race from Arlington. I got some money riding on it. It's my apartment, my TV. We watch what I want. Remember, I'm on Canine Squad. We're partners again. Yeah, yes, but not equal ones. I don't get a vote. Not in this life. And I'm afraid you leave me no choice. Loafers, my favorite. Bad dog, bad dog. Bad dog. That's it, Pachinski. When you're alive, you're an utter disgrace to mankind. A lazy, slovenly, ill-mannered whore. Now that you're a dog, the only thing that's improved is your threat. So there you have it, Pachinski. The very definition of a literal and figurative dog on television. And before we wrap this up, I think it might be necessary to talk a little bit more about the reincarnation trope on television, seeing as though I'm a representative of both the afterlife and the underworld. Simply put, I don't mind if reincarnation is part of a story as long as it's executed in a way that makes sense to the viewer. But for the trope to be pulled off successfully, it needs to be believable enough for the audience to buy the premise. Say, for example, any time on Doctor Who when the Doctor regenerates him or herself into a different actor. It's integral to the plot of the show, and the reasoning for the regenerations are usually vital to the story. 
Sometimes reincarnation can be played up for laughs in a non-fantasy world, like on South Park, when Kenny's soul is placed into a pot roast only for it to be eaten by <laughs> Rob Schneider, derp de derp. Or if you want a true stretch of the trope, the episode of Friends where Phoebe thinks the soul of her dead mother was placed inside of a stray cat. Puchinski, on the other hand, may not be as easy a pill to swallow, because all we got is the reason why one transferred a soul into the other was a 30-second-long staring contest and a discount Enya CD that you'd often hear at legitimate massage parlors. That's it. No rhyme, no reason, no kidding. Almost as though the writers of this show had absolutely no clue what to do after episode one. And they were expected to make this into a series that ran for years? Way to plan ahead, guys. Top-notch job all around. So, where does Puchinski get to run around in the upstate farm that is Telehel? Let's break out the pooper scooper on our nine circles. Limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, violence, fraud, treachery. I'll be honest. This may be one of those rare times when I have next to nothing to say about the show itself other than the fact that this was a busted pilot that only aired once and never saw the light of day ever again except maybe on YouTube. So a spot in limbo is guaranteed. At the same time, however, the show wasn't exactly bad, or even so good it's bad, but just dumb enough that you can't help but find the show slightly charming in spite of its premise. A premise that would be wholly original were it not for one man and one other dog. Chevy Chase is Benjamin Browning, a struggling private eye who's about to embark on the strangest case of his career. I don't like being cute. I don't like being fluffy. I want some hands. Oh, oh heavenly dog. The more I watched Puchinski, the more I kept asking myself why it looked so familiar. And then it hit me. The show, give or take a couple details or two, was a carbon copy of another infamous pile of dog shit in the form of Oh Heavenly Dog, the movie where Chevy Chase played Benji and vice versa under oddly similar circumstances. A detective gets killed, reincarnated as a dog, and tries to solve crimes. And between that plot point and the obvious slob, neat freak, odd couple combo that the show tried to exploit, that's all the reason I need to put the de facto TV version through the obedience schools of fraud and heresy. With an additional side note of violence due to the fact that getting rubbed out in the line of duty doubles your legs from two to four. And let's also not forget about the dog going gaga over his dispatcher and us getting grazed with minor bestiality at the same time. So mark one down for lust. And it's moments like that that make me glad that the muzzle was invented. Puchinski earns five out of nine circles of telehell. As well as further proof that sometimes busted TV pilots should just roll over and play dead. Speaking of which, I think Cerberus may have calmed themselves down a little. Okay, Cerberus. Time to go back to your master. Look, I know I typed you up to the stalagmite for over a half hour, but I had some things to do. I promise when we get back to the boss's office, I'll let you have some charred flesh, okay? Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait. Whoa. Stay. Heal.
next time on Telehell. Nothing says happy holidays quite like the end of the world. It's a giant spider. It must be some sort of mutation, a result of the radioactivity. You think? Whoops premieres tonight right after Flying Blind on Fox. Until then. If it's not in Telehell, it's not worth a damn. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976, and all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Libsyn. Not unlike certain viruses, Telehell is everywhere now. In addition to Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, we can also be heard on Google Podcasts and the iHeartRadio app. Of course, we can also be heard in a number of other places just by Googling Telehell. And don't forget to like, comment, rate, subscribe, and follow our social feeds. Twitter and Facebook, both at Telehell Podcast. Podcast.